This is the Chillinoy Podcast. I feel like a, like a slice of butter melting on top of a big old pile of flapjacks. This episode was recorded around 8 p.m. on Sunday, June 21st. I am Justine from Canna Queens. And I am Cole Preston from the Chillinoy Podcast. So, Justine, what did we recently do to our plants? Oh, we switched them bitches into flower. Let's go, girls. Hell yeah, we did. So that's this is uh these are exciting times uh, in Cole and Justine's little humble abode. Um, so uh, Justine, we have some really cool people on the show today. Who who do we who do we who do we bring on? So um, in the spirit of growing, we were joined by Rachel and Chris Berry from the Illinois Hemp Growers Association. So. They give us a lot of really cool and interesting info about hemp growing, um, the hemp market, and where to find really high quality local grown CBD products. Yeah, and of course, you know, we've got a focus on the adult use and medical um, cannabis markets in the state of Illinois. So obviously, there's a, a tangential topic there. Um, they're a relating topic. I don't know. What, what am I trying to say? Um, relevant. <laughs> a relevant topic. Yeah. It, it, so basically the Illinois Hemp Growing Association, they obviously give like uh, direction to folks that grow hemp, you know, your licensed hemp farmers in the state of Illinois. And um, they've actually recently been given the direction. Uh, there was a memo that came out from the Illinois Department of Ag that basically said, well, you know, I won't spoil what we're going to talk about in, in this segment, but it basically said that hemp um, derivatives can be used in the adult use and medical markets. So that's, ex- that's exciting stuff. Um, so one thing I did want to say before we jumped into the interview is that, uh, we recorded via Skype. So you're going to notice a drop off in quality. Um, I do apologize, but, um, I hope that the substance of the interview makes up for the drop in quality. So, um, let's take a listen to our conversation with Rachel and Chris. So we're joined by the Illinois Hemp Growers Association, um, Chris and Rachel. Uh, I just want to hop right in. Chris, Rachel, tell us about your tell us about yourself. Hi, yeah. Well, um, I'm Rachel Berry. I'm, I'm the CEO of the Illinois Hemp Growers Association. Um, Chris, do you want to say hi? hi? I'm Chris Berry. I'm the chief of operations for the Illinois Hemp Growers Association. Uh, we were both born and raised in the suburbs of Chicago, and now we live about two hours west of um, Chicago and Princeton on a 13-acre farm um, where we've been practicing uh, permaculture, growing vegetables and um, fruit, raising poultry for about the last eight years. Um, We're parents to two awesome kids. Um, And last year we grew uh, CBD and this year we're gonna grow grain and fiber. Awesome, that's that's crazy. So if you guys uh, don't recognize, some of our listeners may recognize the Illinois Hemp Growers Association was on our subreddit in the past. Actually, during the early days uh, when we first launched, and you did an AMA with us, which 
is awesome. I actually still look back to it this day because there's a lot of substantive information in there. So if you guys want to check that out, uh, just go on our subreddit, r slash iltrees, and uh, just search up AMA with the Illinois Hemp Growers Association, and there's a, a lot of really good stuff in there. Um, people ask great questions. But anyways, um, tell us about what started the Illinois Hemp Growers Association. Sure. Um, well, like I mentioned, we're farmers. Um, and after growing, you know, vegetables for a number of years, I was kind of looking into what else we can grow on this farm. Um, you know, we have some erosion, some, uh, some, you know, a little bit of pollutants downstream from neighbors, um, you know, stuff like that, stuff we'd like to take care of on our farm. And I was just researching, you know, what can I grow here, you know, on this farm that I can feel really good about and, you know, really want to be a farmer and stick with being a farmer. Um, and I kind of stumbled upon hemp and fell down a rabbit hole of all the cool things that you can do with it. Um, and I became, you know, basically a hemp advocate. Um, and I, I was doing that for about four years um, when I decided to kind of take it, you know, as far as I could and really get into lobbying. Um, that went pretty well. Uh, it, we got our bill passed in August 2018. Um, and at that point, we just, you know, we could see after years of um, advocacy, we could see that there was a need for support, you know, in this industry, um, a need for education, uh, collaboration with other organizations. Um, so, yeah, Chris and I just kind of joined forces and we started the IHGA. So to reiterate, um, you said that was in 2018 uh, after Bruce Rauner uh, signed, it was like Senate Bill 2298. Um, into law and that's when you guys started the hemp growers association that's right that's that's awesome that's awesome um so we saw that you guys were recently featured in um we found your article on cannabisbusinesstimes.com and they are kind of talking to you guys about introducing your products into the legal medical and adult use cannabis markets so Tell us some more about that. Sure. Um, so, like on its face, the policy creates a mutually beneficial arrangement for the hemp and medical adult use markets. Um, it, but if there's a lot to be critical about, if you want to be about the policy, since um, it's it's operating under the current uh, Illinois Industrial Hemp Program, this policy could have been implemented much sooner. It's kind of confusing as to why it was only implemented this late in the game. Uh, you know, in August of 2019, the uh, the price of CBD started to crash, and it would have been really helpful if we would have been able to get into dispensaries then. Um, as it is now, because the prices are so low, essentially dispensaries or cultivation centers only, not dispensaries. That's an important distinction. Is only the cultivation centers can buy the industrial hemp. Um, they can buy it from anyone in the country, not just growers in Illinois. So as, as nice as it sounds, basically what this does is allow the cultivation centers to take advantage of very, very low prices for sale. They'll be saving money by not dedicating canopy space to CBD strains, and they'll also be taking advantage of incredibly low prices for CBD isolate and distillate and um, even CBD biomass if they choose to go that route. But, you know, you put the criticism aside and this is a really progressive and positive movement for the hemp industry. Um, we didn't think this would ever be allowed to get hemp that was not grown under a, uh, or 
to get any kind of cannabis that was not grown under a, an adult use cultivation license into a dispensary is is really great. And Illinois is the only state that is doing this. So we're, we're really proud of that. But at the same time, you know, there's, pl there's plenty to improve upon. And we would have really liked to see them require that the cultivation centers that that do buy hemp from licensed growers buy it from Illinois growers, not not just any grower in, anywhere in the country. For sure, that makes sense. So tell us, I, I'm honestly, uh, I'm not sure. Has this like started yet? Are they able to, you know, when, when does this all start? Like, are, oh, yeah. when can you, uh, the memo? It said that on the memo, it said that um, it was effective immediately. Interesting. So cultivators, do you know, I don't mean to, you know, if you can't get into this, that's fine. But are there any like farms that you know of that have been called contacted by cultivators? Um, you know, no, CBD. There aren't. Like I said, uh, typically the cultivation centers are not going to be contacting farmers. Okay. Um, far once farmers uh, get their product processed into oil, then it'll go into brokerage or some other distribution channels. So whoever's buying the oil or stockpiling the oil, which in, in some cases may be the processor, because the processor processors used to do split agreements with farmers. They would they would process their biomass into oil and take 50-50 and then stockpile 50% of the oil for a later sale. Um, processors stopped doing that around August or September of last year because the prices were getting so low, it wasn't worth their time anymore to split with farmers. So they moved purely to a tolling processing only model where they charge by the pound to convert for biomass to oil. So it's incredibly unlikely that any farmer is gonna sell any hemp to any dispensary in a, in a private transaction. It's mostly going to be those that have been stockpiling oil, either processors or brokers or distributors um, and who they need to sell product, even sometimes at a loss, just to keep their lights on. So that that's what the cultivation centers can take advantage of with this with this policy. For sure, yeah. And maybe I asked the question wrong. Uh, forgive me. I had you heard of any cultivation centers that have taken advantage of this yet? Um, the, the reason I'm asking is because I've noticed. Um, I I can't. You know, I'm trying to put the timeline together. But I've noticed, you know, an, an abundance recently of like three to one products. All of a sudden, there's these C there these CBD rich products, and maybe it's anecdotal. But I'm trying to put the pieces of the puzzle together, and I did I just didn't know if you'd heard of any cultivation centers that are uh, actively taking advantage of this. Uh, I haven't heard anything, but I would assume that because, like you reported, you know, I assume that that's exactly what's happening. Is they're they're pulling in. Uh, you know, kilos of or liters of distillate for $750. Like they're they're able to pull in products so cheaply that it's it's crazy not to put out with the prices that they're getting for CBD in the dispensary. It would be crazy for them not to put out more CBD products. Right. So with with all that in mind, what is your outlook on? You know, what is your opinion on the outlook of the next 12 months of the market? And I want to just say that I know that that's a really hard question because of what's going on right now with, you know, COVID-19 and, it, you know, we don't have to get too down in the dumps about that. But, you know, just at a general look with these changes and with how the market is supposed to shape up, um, what, do you, what, do you, what is your opinion on the outlook of the next 12 months in this market? Well, my opinion is that prices will never go back to the levels they were in the first half of 2019 or before. 
Um, that's that's regardless of COVID or anything else. Um, and in Illinois, at least, and probably other uh, Delta Nine only states, production will will remain steady uh, from the last year due to operating under the old rules, which is from the 2014 Farm Bill, in which it's easier to remain compliant for THC. Uh, but in 2021, federal compliance for total THC in 12 months from now, but it, it will likely lead to a decrease in licensed acreage production. That's what I think. Gotcha. And I just wanted to reiterate really quick. I think that we had some like lightning and, and maybe it was just our connection. Hopefully the recording was good. And in which case I'll, I'll edit this out. But what was your statement, the contrast between the old farm bill and the new farm bill? I'd, I'd just like you to reiterate that, please. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, like I said, in Illinois, at least, and uh, probably other Delta nine only states, production will remain steady uh, this year, the same as last year, pretty much, uh, due to them operating under the old rules from the 2014 Farm Bill, which made it easier for states to make it uh, easier to, for farmers to remain compliant for THC. Um, because, it, it, like, to, to expand on that a little bit, um, Illinois only tests for Delta 9 THC. Um, but as we all, anyone who's visited a dispensary knows most of the, the THC in the product is actually in THCA. Um, so if you look at your dispensary products, you'll see, you know, you have 20% THCA and maybe 1% THC. Um, so sure. Illinois only is testing and many other states like Oregon and, and some others are only testing for that, that Delta 9 THC. Um, and that on, and almost every state that does that is doing so under the 2014 farm bill. There's, there's no way that that's possible under the 2018 farm bill based on what the DEA has said and what the USDA has adopted. Interesting. That's very interesting. So my question is, and I know this is kind of deviating from what we were just talking about, but do members of your association sell um, CBD products that like people who are listening to the podcast or people who are on Reddit could just purchase themselves? Yeah, for sure. Um, and, you know, four come to mind for me right now. Um, they're Illinois growers, obviously. Um, they grew last year and were successful small farmers. Um, several of them are uh, women farmers as well. Um, there's hemp stock, hemp stock farms, tulip tree gardens, do good acres, um, and Canna Health RX by Illinois Valley Hemp. Um, I think all of them offer CBD tinctures. Some of them have some specialty products like lip balms and creams. Um, I think most of them have smokable flour and edibles. Oh yeah, and some of them have uh, capsules and you know like roll-on pain relief sticks. So yeah, there, we definitely have members that have products. For yeah, um, Hempstock Farms uh, always has a good selection of smokable flour, and they they specialize in edibles. And um, Tulip Tree, their body cream and salves are the best. We we like them the best. Um, Do Good Acres made CBD concentrate dabs, which are really good. They're very tasty and smooth. And um, Canna Health RX makes specially formulated capsules and roll-on pain relief sticks. Um, and their capsules uh, are mixed with like turmeric and other beneficial stuff. They're the only ones that we've seen that are doing something like that. And all of these companies are 
we visited every single one of them. We've seen all of their hemp grown when it was growing. Um, they they did it right, and they've they've got all the documentation to back it up. All of their stuff is clean, pesticide free, solvent free, heavy metal free. Um, they they you can find all the information online, and yeah, please. If you are going to be buying CBD, try to get it from these places or other similar places as these aren't the only ones in the state, but they're some of our favorites. Hell yeah. And I want to reiterate, it is in the state of Illinois. Yeah. And yes. We're definitely going to keep those in mind because I personally love um, CBD topicals. I think that they work super, super well. So yeah, we're definitely going to check those out. Um so you mentioned four of the farms that you recommend. How many members in total does your organization have right now? So how many members does our organization have? We have over 600 members who have signed up for free on our website. Um, we also have over 90 dues-paying members who have chosen to support us with a yearly contribution of $25. And we are partnered with nine corporate sponsors. Wow. So you guys have a, a pretty good size following, a, a good sized support base for, um, you know, being something that I feel like hemp and CBD are kind of relatively new concepts um, as far as in like the mainstream cannabis industry. So that's really awesome. Um, the USDA identified, um, you know, value or uh, reliable resources as a major set, uh, barrier to greater adoption of hemp in agriculture. So that's part of the reason why we continue to exist is we we want to provide that reliable resource for people. And a lot of times we do it for free. Awesome. Um, do you guys know off the top of your head how many active cultivation licenses there are in the state of Illinois? Um, last year, there were about 500. Um, this year's numbers have not been released yet, and they weren't released last year until like September. So I'm not sure if we'll have those numbers anytime super soon. Um, but we're, you know, we estimate that the number is about the same. Um, some growers maybe aren't choosing to be licensed again after growing last year, and some of them have, um, you know, licenses that they purchased for multiple years. And, you know, some people even probably purchased licenses for a first time this year. So our guess is, you know, probably about the same. So for those um, people who may have gotten their licenses for the first time this year, do you have any advice um, if they are looking to buy seed in the state of Illinois? Sure, yeah. Um, getting reliable seed was much more difficult in 2019 than it has been for 2020. Uh, prices are down and supplies and variety is much greater this year. Um, and the best advice that I can give is don't buy from someone that you haven't met in person or that you won't have the opportunity to meet in person and do your best to buy from someone in Illinois. Uh, some businesses don't supply seed, but they do sell live seedlings and clones, which are sometimes the better option depending on your situation. Uh, but if you're buying seed for cannabinoid production, feminized seed makes your life a lot easier. Uh, and with that, don't buy seed from anyone who claims to have feminized seed, but can't explain how it was created. Uh, and then, I guess, um, you know, any, okay, here's a good one. Any reputable vendor will be able to supply a recent certificate of analysis that shows the seed you're buying came from a plant that was compliant for THC levels at harvest. Uh, as long as your vendor has a compliant certificate of analysis, you're allowed to grow any seed or, or strain that you find. Um, and if, and 
finally, uh, if you're ready to make a purchase of seed or live plants, but you're not quite sure yet, or you, you, you don't know exactly what you're getting into, uh, consider giving us a call and, um, you call us first and before you finalize your transaction and we'll give you a second opinion free of charge. That's awesome. So, um, what are your, just on a flip side, what is your advice for, uh, consumers of CBD? You know, we were talking about the farmers and how they acquire their genetics, but what are your advice for the consumers of CBD? I imagine that you're going to recommend that they look for a COA as well, but, uh, anything else? Definitely investigate your COA. Make sure that, like I was saying earlier, that it's uh, pesticide-free, solvent-free, heavy metal-free. Um, and, and just like with seed, do your best to support local hemp growers. Um, check out those brands we mentioned earlier. Uh, and I'll say that most products found in gas stations and like in video stores, they're made by usually made by out-of-state vendors, uh, and they use CBD isolate which only contains CBD and no other cannabinoids, no terpenes, no flavonoids. And I would argue that this is probably the least beneficial way to consume CBD. Uh, I'd recommend looking for products labeled full spectrum because they're usually made from distillate instead of isolate. And they're closer to what the whole plant would naturally provide. Uh, but that being said, full, the, the term full spectrum distillate is basically an oxymoron because the process of creating distillate separates the cannabinoids away from the other constituents of the plant completely. And uh, processors then typically add terpenes back into the final formulation to create this, quote, full spectrum. Uh, and if you work a job where you get drug tested, you should look for uh broad spectrum products, which are the same as full spectrum, but they have specifically removed any trace of THC from the final formulation. Very, that is a very good tip. Broad spectrum for you folks that are looking to use CBD, but are also looking to pass a drug test, mm -hmm. um, which is something that, you know, unfortunately a lot of us still have to go through. And Chris, would you say that the, the broad spectrum is still just as effective as the full spectrum? Um, and I only ask because in my experience at the dispensary, which of course we don't get formal training on the differences between, you know, CBD that you buy from the gas station and CBD that you would buy from the dispensary. Um, and we were always taught that it has to have THC in it in order to be effective, but, um, so broad spectrum still just as effective in your opinion? I would say it's close. Like you're already in the world of distilled product. So you're, you're already pretty far removed from whole plant medicine and the, uh, what do they call it? The synergistic effect. Um, what, what, I forgot. The, the, the entourage effect. Entourage effect. That's sort of the synergistic effect. The entourage effect. Yeah, we're already getting far away from the entourage effect that you get when, say, you smoke or consume a whole plant flower. So as the difference between full spectrum and broad spectrum, there may be some difference, but typically like in your full spectrum product, it's not a whole lot of THC to begin with. So if there is some sort of entourage effect from it, it you probably won't notice that much of a difference. I haven't specifically tested one way or the other. Um, like back to back, side to side, but um, Illinois Valley, the Canna Health RX products, they they offer both like full spectrum and THC free versions of all their products. So you could do a side by side test if you wanted to, but uh, yeah, I just haven't gotten around to it yet. I and you know what, 
to just like as a very uh, simple answer to your question, I mean, uh, just on uh, uh, like on a very basic physical mechanical sense, I don't think that the, the one with THC removed broad spectrum would be as effective as full spectrum, it, even if it is just a little bit less effective. Um, so we had talked about the four farms that you guys really um, support and recommend and talked about kind of how many members are in your organization and everything. Um, do you guys, as the Illinois Hemp Growers Association, work with any other organizations inside or outside of the cannabis industry in Illinois? Or yeah. across the nation? Yeah, well, we work with the uh, Midwest Hemp Council. Um, we we work with them through the IHGA. Um, and then personally, um, we work with, or I work with the United States Hemp Building Association. Um, they are working to get uh, hemp into building codes so we can you know, build homes and you know, all sorts of cool structures with um, locally sourced uh, hemp materials. Oh, yeah. um, and then I, I also support the local food movement um, you know, with hemp included. Um, and I am on the board of directors for the Illinois Stewardship Alliance. You are a busy woman, Rachel. I respect that. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. And so to kind of, what were you saying? Sorry. And she's got two kids too. Yeah, we got two kids. <laughs> oh Superwoman. Oh Superwoman. Yeah, you are a superhero, you guys. You guys are superheroes. Um, so just to kind of switch topics, I want to bring it kind of home in a sense that this is Illinois, right? And everybody likes to talk about the the fields and the fields and the endless fields, right? <laughs> um, so can you talk about using hemp as a rotation crop? Because I know a lot of farmers around this area and I'd love to show them this podcast because, you know, they're farmers, they've been farmers their whole life. Um, but they, you know, I'm sorry, I'll be pretty blunt. Sometimes farmers, they're a small town. Maybe they aren't so friendly with cannabis or maybe they aren't so uh, familiar with cannabis. Maybe they are, though, on the other hand. But in my experience, they aren't so familiar with cannabis. And so um, we're talking about hemp, of course. Um, but, you know, can you talk about using hemp as a rotation crop? Because it sounds like it could really... I mean, it sounds like these farmers in Illinois could benefit from using hemp as a rotation crop. Yeah, of course. Um, it's, you know, this is really gets down to the heart of why we do what we do. Um, it's a big reason why we think hemp has a huge part to play in the future of agriculture. Um, I don't know if you're aware, but the USDA had put out uh, what's called an agriculture innovation agenda, and it's a 30 year plan uh, to increase ag production by 40% and cut environmental footprint of agriculture by 50% by 2050. So in order to be able to do that, we have to use hemp. There's no way around it. Um, and hemp fits perfectly in between uh, current corn and soybean rotations. So you can plant corn, then hemp, then soy, then repeat. Uh, fields previously cropped to soybeans, alfalfa, and clover are excellent for rotating into hemp. Uh, in traditional schemes of crop rotation, hemp can occupy the same place as oats or beans. Um, and furthermore, the introduction of hemp as a new crop into the cycle of crop rotations can help reduce the incidence of disease and soil pathogens. Hemp improves soil structure, suppresses weeds, and is nearly free of diseases and pests. It can reduce uh, the, 
the cis nematode that affects soybeans. Um, it grows well after fruits, vegetables, grasses, and grains, and also fruits, vegetables, grasses, and grains grow well after hemp. So it, 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 you can fit it right into any style of agriculture that you are involved with, including planting a thousand acres of corn at a time. Now, whether or not there's a market for that thousand acres of hemp you just planted, that's a little bit of a different story. For sure. That, yeah, that makes sense. But that's, this is something that I'm definitely going to share with some of my farming friends because um, these benefits that you're talking about, I mean, um, there's definitely a market for hemp. And this is the, actually kind of segueing into my next question. Um, so I, I feel like, like you say, you know, whether or not you can find a place for that hemp is one thing. But I feel like as, as the doors start to open up, like Rachel was just talking about, you know, making, uh, I don't know, can you maybe reiterate what you were saying, um, something about making hemp products up to building code or something like that? Yeah, yeah. Um, the herd, the inner woody core from the fiber variety of the hemp can be used for uh, building for construction materials. Um, it can be pressed into to boards, um, all kinds of stuff you can do for just, just construction-wise with the hemp plant. That's crazy. So I was reading that over, you know, 25,000 products that we use in our day-to-day -day lives could more easily and more sustainably, in my personal opinion, be made with hemp, um, including but not limited to health foods, organic body care, clothing, like you were talking about, Rachel, construction materials, biofuels, plastic composites, and more. And just to... I don't mean to deviate from the topic, but this is just my, you know, my spin on it. This is the Chillinoy podcast, and we have a we have a focus on the, uh, recreational and medical cannabis markets. My thought has always been that, you know, when I first went to Colorado, first of all, I was saddened when I saw I went on a hike and I saw um, dispensary packaging in the soil, like plastic that people had thrown. You know, they were going on a hike or whatever, and I guess they maybe opened up their cannabis packaging and, and just threw it in the soil because I guess they didn't have a trash. I don't know. Um, but it, it's just always my thought has always been, you know, this this movement was based in sustainability. This movement was the cannabis movement was based in the idea that hemp, you know, can be used for all these different products. And it's again, I don't mean to get on too much of a tangent, but it's crazy to me that, you know, this the cannabis nowadays is sold in all these different plastics and papers and everything else. And it's like, damn it. Why didn't we, why didn't we, uh, package this in hemp? You know what I mean? So, uh, like I said, I don't mean to be, uh, uh, get get off on a tangent, but can you maybe talk about, you know, the, like I say, the multiple uses of hemp. Um, I kind of went over a few that were pretty interesting. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, the, you know, and regardless of whether or not you have a trash can on your hiking trail, you throw a piece of plastic in it, it's going to end up in a landfill. So part of getting away from that would be, uh, you know, developing biodegradable plastics that you can make from hemp. Uh, it's not quite there yet, um, but there is some cool products out there. And yeah, dispensary packaging is one of them. Um, I'm pretty sure there's a business out of Colorado that's doing now they, they make packages for pre-rolls and like for up to up to an eighth of flour um, but uh the, the greatest market opportunities for hemp aside from cannabinoid production of course are in industrial uses packaging is just one of the many industries that hemp can help revolutionize uh, my opinion non-woven textiles are going to be huge for the fiber industry 
the non-woven textiles can be used as, as erosion mats, growing mediums. You can press them and you press them with resin into car parts. Um, it's that that's going to be huge. That that is the biggest opportunity for anyone getting into researching how to process hemp fiber and create end products out of it. That that's going to be huge. And uh, in in many cases, hemp can replace fiberglass. It can replace polyester, and it can even replace. Uh, and hemp can also disrupt large portions of the cotton and timber industries as well. Um, and hemp grown for seed is definitely a great opportunity in health food and personal care, and even uh, animal feed. And animal feed, it's not it's not approved for animal feed yet, but that when it does, excuse me, when it does open up, uh, that that's going to be massive. I think that's what's going to help Illinois farmers really get behind it. It's interesting when you go over all these different uses uh, for this product, it really makes sense why uh, it was made uh, illegal, <laughs> um, to be blunt. You know what I mean? Uh, no pun intended on the to be blunt. But uh, yeah, I, I just, you know, when you go over how many different uses it has besides medicine, let's put medicine aside, right? It, this this product is industri industrial wise. It's it's perfect. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, I might make a fool out of myself on this one, but it's 30, 30 minutes into this uh, interview and I'll be just completely candid. We are now smoking. And so um, did Henry Ford uh, make the first car with hemp, uh, like the body of the car at least? Again, well, I might make I've heard that those panel, they were like a bioplastic panel, but it, it also had some soybean in there i don't i don't know if it was 100 percent hemp but i've and i've also heard that um the original diesel engine was designed to be run on hemp biodiesel gotcha gotcha and with using hemp for things like um if we just go back to you know buildings is hemp something that when replacing wood can prevent things um, that we traditionally run to run into like termites um, and mold issues and that kind of stuff? Or am I, am I thinking that yeah. it's got too many superpowers? No. Yeah, it definitely is pest resistant, mold resistant. Um, it's actually flame resistant as well. Well, as a substitute for wood though. Oh, as not, a substitute not, for wood. Because like with, with hempcrete, it's, it's very much pest resistant, mold resistant. I would imagine that there is one company that they make a product called hemp wood that um, is a substitute for oak. And it's, it's a pretty good material, but I would imagine that it is a bit more termite resistant than oak, but obviously it's not flame resistant. Like what you're saying, like hempcrete is, flame. Oh, hempcrete is, hempcrete yeah. is flame resistant, <laughs> but hemp wood is not, it'll burn just like mm -hmm. wood. Interesting. Um, but and I'm down i'm sorry you can cut down on um the amount of of uh, timber that you use in construction um by using you know hempcrete or hemp lime construction what what is your favorite hemp derived product on the market right now um you know cbd product whatever you can find in the illinois market what's your guys favorite thing that you use i for me it's a tie between tulip, tulip trees gardens uh like concentrated body salve is that the one tulip tree garden salve and then uh do good acres dabs there's those cbd dabs are awesome we'll have to try that out yeah tulip tree salve got that noted 
Yeah, it's 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 super potent. Like all you need is just a little bit. It's perfect for like any breakouts or like any kind of like weird blemishes on your skin. You take a shower, put that on, and it's like gone the next day. Very interesting. Wow. Very interesting. That's that's awesome because as someone who um, is working out with the public i have to wear a mask all day and those things have been hell on my skin so i will definitely be looking into that absolutely and i think the question that's on everybody's mind i wanted to save this till the end you know because i wanted to talk about what you guys are here for um you know have you guys tried your hand at growing cannabis itself i know you guys are all knowledgeable about growing hemp um but have you tried your hand at growing cannabis? Uh, I, I seem to recall that maybe one of you guys are uh, medical patients or maybe both. Um, yeah, I am a medical patient and this is my first year trying my hand um, at growing a couple plants. That's exciting. That's exciting. That's really cool. Um, one of the questions that I was just looking back to our AMA, which I found to be um, very substantive Um I think that we, uh, you know, talked about this a little bit earlier, but I wanted to give you guys a chance to reiterate. Um, somebody had asked, you know, can you demystify, uh, and forgive me if I'm putting you on the spot, but I'm just trying to find some more material in this podcast. Um, uh, can you demystify cannabis breeding and or crossbreeding, like um, how phenotypes vary widely from parent to parent? Yeah, yeah. Um, that, I mean, that's like, probably the most complicated thing to get into for people because you you're dealing with all the previous histories of the like all the genetic information that these strains come from like all these cbd strains didn't exist you know 10 15 years ago they're the result of diligent growers of like thc strains selectively picking uh phenotypes that that showed cbd that, or that produced predominantly CBD and then continually back crossing and selectively going for stuff that almost produced no THC at all. In some cases, they took THC strains and crossed them with feral hemp strains to get some of these CBD varietals that you have. And when you do that, you get a, your first generation will have what they call hybrid vigor and it will be relatively stable. But after that, say you save your seed from your first generation and you try to grow it again, you might see 10 different phenotypes or 16 different phenotypes in the field, um, each one totally different from the next one. Some of them dominant THC, some of them dominant CBD, some of them look like feral hemp plants that are 12 foot tall and used for fiber. It, it would just be a mess. Um, and that's typically what you see out of almost every seed that you, or CBD strain that we have right now. So it's it's a it's a pretty complicated field to get into. Breeding is like I would say it's 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 hard mode for uh, cannabis growers. If you want to start developing your own strains, like it takes a lot of serious dedication. Um, and for most people, I just think it's kind of out of reach because you you need to grow a lot of plants and do a lot of work to get into creating your own strain. Um, and yeah, that but. I guess to circle back and just simply answer the question, it's, it's the result of complicated breeding um, and so a complicated selective breeding, I guess, is, is where you, what you end up with. Yeah, that, 
that's kind of what I've had. That's the takeaway I've had as well. Yeah. Um, and I don't, I don't want this to sound in any way, shape or form, like I'm gatekeeping you. Um, but do either of you have any sort of like formal background in organic chemistry or, um, botany? I mean, you guys are just so knowledgeable. This is, you guys are giving us really good information. Uh, no, I don't. I'm actually a tradesman by profession, so I'm more of a mechanic than a scientist, but my mom's got a degree in biology and she's been a nurse for a long time. And Rachel's got her CNA and she's been in healthcare, various different healthcare fields. And um, like we've been studying native plants for 10 years. I mean, we, we love plants. So neither one of us has a bachelor's in science in anything. Yeah. Yeah. I um, made a choice, you know, kind of when I moved onto the farm that I I just wanted to go practical knowledge. You know, I really hit up the library and I, I talked to local farmers and um, volunteer time and trade experience and knowledge. Um, and that's been kind of the route that I've gone um, in terms of learning about plants and about soil health um, and uh, yeah, how to grow. That's amazing. So it really shows that if you're passionate about something and you really care a lot about it, um, you know, you just use your resources and research as much as possible and someday that you could be running an association to support your hobbies. That's awesome. Yeah, everyone can make, a, that's what's cool about the hemp industry right now is everyone can make a unique contribution to the field. Your expertise in whatever you do is needed in the hemp industry and you can fit in, like I talked about, 25,000 uses. If you can't find something you're passionate about, you, you will. Right, absolutely. Hell yeah, and um, you know, uh, feel free to stop me on this one. I think my listeners know where I was going when I asked the question about genetics and crossbreeding, and I'm totally putting you guys on the spot right now. And so forgive me, but what, you know, I, I'm just honestly curious in the CBD industry or the hemp industry, um, do the terms can, like uh, indica, sativa, and hybrid really come into play? They, they do mostly just like for physical characteristics. Like, it's pretty obvious. You can still walk up on a hemp variety and be like, oh, that's obviously sativa dominant with those thin leaves and that really, like, tall, bushy structure. And yeah. then you have, you have the indica, which is way more of a squat, like, densely budded plant that has thicker, shorter leaves. Um, they, they still come into play, but uh, a lot of these hemp varieties are just hybridized with other hybrids. They're hybrids upon hybrids. So you... you unless you're getting all clones, you'll see some variation out there, but that's, that's basically all they do is they use it to describe the structure of the plant. Oh, it's an indica type or sativa type. But as we know, you know that, that doesn't go far enough to describe like what the, the potential effects of the plant would be. Um, like, you know, in dispensaries, they say, oh, this is an indica. So it's probably more of a relaxing one, or this is a sativa. It's more of an energizing one. Um, but, you know, terpenes and flavonoids, though, those are really what are going to give you that that um, the variety of effects that you experience when you consume a strain. And it's the same thing with hemp. Well, Chris, I thought I was putting you on the spot, but you just took all the words out of my mouth. That's exactly where I was going with it. And uh, one of the things I noticed throughout this podcast is that you guys were using the term variety when describing uh, whatever hemp, you know, you were talking about. And I've always just thought that was interesting that at the, the dispensary, cannabis is separated and, and sold as strains when really 
you know, I would argue that they should be sold as a cultivar or variety, depending on whether or not the plant has one or more distinguishing characteristics and is true to seed. Um, and yeah, I, I think that, I mean, you hit the nail on the head on all the points I was about to make. And again, our listen, listeners have already heard me make these points. Um, but I think it's important to understand that indica, sativa, those have always been used to describe morphological features and physical adaptations and not physiological responses to the plant. And like you say, um, if we start to standardize cannabis medicine by looking at terpenes, flavonoids, and cannabinoids and any other distinguishing feature, maybe we'll start to get to a place where we've got standardized cannabis medicine. You know what I mean? So um, it's interesting to hear that you guys are onto this. The, I mean, you literally took, I've got a little write-up. You, you, re, you hit all the bullet points that I was going to, that I was going to hit. I thought I was really taking you guys by surprise on that one. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think that kind of also. You can't, you, I would be surprised if you surprised us. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and I think, too, Chris, with your answer, it, it all circles back to that, um, the idea of the entourage effect, where it's the whole plant medicine, it's it's everything all together. It's not just, you know, oh, yeah, these leaves are short and fat. This one's going to put me straight to sleep because it, it could amp you up and make you paranoid. And, you know, you might smoke a sativa that puts you right out like Durban poison does that to me. Um, so, yeah, that's. That's good. We're glad to hear that you guys are of the same mindset and on board with with the true science behind it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Have you heard you have you seen the latest lawsuit by the Scottsdale Research Institute against the DEA for, you know, uh, being able to supply whole plant medicine uh, in a clinical trials? No, um, please, please, just, please give us yeah. some details. Um, in June, Scottsdale Research Institute uh, effectively brought legal action against the DEA um, because uh, they, their, their argument is the cannabis that run at the University of Mississippi uh, is insufficient. It's of insufficient quality to do uh, effective clinical trials because they analyze the plants and they have seeds in them and they're about 12% THC. Um, and so they, they've made a petition, uh, a legal petition, uh, and it's in the courts now. And it, basically the DEA has been denying its authority to do anything about it, saying that we can't, well, we can't because we're bound by an international treaty called the Single Convention on Narcotic, Narcotic Drugs. Um, and so this all has to do with cannabis being schedule one. So like our latest blog post is about that. It's about why cannabis is still schedule one. So if, if, uh, your listeners want to check it out, you can check it out on our website. We, I did a, uh, Rachel and I sat down and really put some thought into this and looked at the most recent information we could find as to why is this still schedule one? And what I came up with was essentially, the DEA and the pharmaceutical lobby. And uh, yeah, if you want to read more, just check it out on our website. What is your website? Go ahead and plug it real quick. www.illinoishga.com. Perfect. Perfect. We'll go over that again here in a second. Um, I really want to recommend our listeners to look up pictures of the marijuana that's grown at the University of Ole Miss because it does not... <laughs> <laughs> it looks like time 
it looks like, and by time, <laughs> I mean the spice. Uh, oh, you no. know, it doesn't look like cannabis. It doesn't look like what you think when you look, when you think of cannabis. Um, would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's, that's what Scottsdale's whole argument is. It's like, we can't do clinical trials with this stuff because that's not what's coming out of the dispensaries and the cultivation centers. Now, I, okay, so I may make a fool of myself again here. Um, but one of the talking points I've heard about this, and it's not a, it's not a solid one. I'm just saying it's one of the ones I've heard is that when the study of Ole Miss started, whenever it started, that's basically the standards they've kept. And the idea is that they want to keep that control variable. And so, um, while you're right that, that it's shit product, I wonder if, is there any truth to that talking point that, that the study started whenever it started? I don't even know when it started, honestly, off the top of my head. You might know. Um, <laughs> and, you know, the, the genetics and the methods of growing cannabis have greatly advanced since then. And think about what the government does with anything. I don't mean to get too political, but the government doesn't always do the greatest job at executing like a, a service or a study. I mean, in some cases it does for sure. Um, but do you think that that has anything? I'm totally just high right now and trying to think of uh, I'm just playing devil's advocate. Do you think that that has anything to play uh, into this? The idea that they're keeping the same standard, that shitty standard, if you will. <laughs> I mean, it, as far as like scientific merit, sure. I, I guess. Um, but that's not what's in the real world. That's I hear you. Country, you're not going to get Mississippi wheat. You're going to get Cresco or Bedford to grow or any of the other 19 cultivation centers that are in the state. Um, right. And, and uh, that's the whole argument is, you know, and it was 1971 is when they started it, by the way. Um, gotcha. That was, when they, that was when they just, they started the whole schedule one thing in the United States. Yeah. So I just want to reiterate, check out that Mississippi, that old, the University of Ole Miss weed. It looks absolutely awful. If you think you've got some bad weed from, you know, one of your plugs, look at the stuff that they grow at Ole Miss because it's absolutely awful. So all jokes aside, I want to give you guys a uh, chance to plug your social media, your website, anything, you know, your blog. Um, yeah, go at it. We want to know where to find you online. Yeah, um, like Chris mentioned, our website is IllinoisHGA.com. We also have a Twitter, which you can find us at Illinois Hemp Growers Association. Um, we have an Instagram, um, and I have a personal, um, kind of a more personal and ton, full of tons of hemp stuff, too. Um, but my personal Instagram is hemp underscore uh, mama underscore Ray. Very fitting, as you are the mother of two, right? So, yeah. <laughs> cool, we, cool. Uh, we just started a YouTube channel. Um, we're also on LinkedIn, too, if you're on LinkedIn. Uh, I like LinkedIn. And, um, yeah, we are. We started a YouTube channel to do um, an in, basically an interactive guide, field guide with you for growing hemp fiber. So if you're interested in just seeing what we've been through, we start off with unloading the seed from the truck. And right now we're in like week four of our fiber grow. 
That's awesome. Well, I'd love to do anything to give you guys some extra exposure. So let's, uh, yeah, everybody check that out and uh, let's talk more in the future so that I can help you, you know, give, give you guys some extra exposure. We could do a blog post or uh, another podcast feature. You know, um, we even actually started our own YouTube channel recently. So uh, we'd love to feature you. And uh, yeah, definitely check out the Illinois Hip Growers Association on YouTube. You said you're on Twitter. Instagram and your website is uh, what is it IllinoisHGA.com is that correct? Yep. Awesome. I'm glad I I'm impressed with myself that I remember <laughs> that actually. Uh, <laughs> so Chris, uh, Rachel, it's been a pleasure. It's always been a pleasure working with you guys. I uh, look forward to working with you guys in the future. Um, you're always welcome here. You know, this is your platform. I know that we have a cannabis, uh, you know, a focus on the recreational and medical uh, market. But again, the, the thing that we started off with is you guys are part of that market now, or at least uh, the, the members of your association are. And so, um, you know, you're always welcome here. I just wanted to extend that invitation. And thanks for joining us. I think our yeah. listeners are going to find this uh, episode very valuable. It's a lot of information yeah. in this one. Yeah, we're all we are all affected by cannabis regulation in one way or another. Mm -hmm. So you know, we we are here for all uh, cannabis enthusiasts of all colors and all ages and all types all around the, the whole country. But especially for people in Illinois, we're here for you. So give us a call or visit our website. Yeah, and just. I don't want to put you on the spot, but what's your phone number? <laughs> uh, yeah, call if you call if you want to call me. My phone number is eight one five three four eight two two one one, and it's on the website too. Perfect, perfect. That's IllinoisHGA.com. You can find them there. And uh, thank you, Rachel and Chris, for uh, joining us today. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Cole. Thank you, Justine. Thank you. All right, now where the fuck's the lighter? I don't know. Huh? Yeah. I guess you know we've got plenty. We've got plenty. So that interview is pretty interesting, huh? Yeah, yeah. It was really awesome catching up with them. Um, and particularly, I guess, on a personal note, talking to other women in the cannabis industry is always really um, inspirational for me and, and lets me know that, you know, there are people who were blazing those trails in order for me to hopefully come along someday. So that gives me a lot of hope. Yeah, and it's, it's a perspective we'd like to include on this show more often. So, you know, if you're a female in the cannabis industry and you'd like to have your voice uh, included on this podcast or you'd like to even come on, um, you've, you guys have heard me say this before. We're all about uh, feedback, but we're also about including your voice. So if you go to chillinoynet slash podcast, scroll down and click the Be Heard button, um, you can email us, you can text us, you can call us and leave us a voicemail, and we can play that voicemail on the show. Um, so yeah, we're all about getting your voice in, in, integrated, if you will, into our podcast. So, uh, we want to be a community platform. This isn't just Justine and I, you know, we're trying to bring the community on air. So, um, thank you guys for listening. Um, we're going to have some really exciting guests in the future. Um, so yeah, this is Cole and Justine. I hope you guys were smoking one while, uh, while you listen to this, as you can tell, we are as well. <laughs> yeah, usually. <laughs> yeah, if uh, if we're not smoking, we're lying uh, in most cases, um, <laughs> I would say.
I really, I really like, I just wanted to return to something that Chris said in that interview. Um, I really just thought it was funny. I don't have any direction in what I'm about to say. This is just, this is going to be a brick wall, you know, in the end of this sentence. But I thought it was funny when he said, I'd be surprised if you surprised us at all. Yeah. I just, <laughs> I just thought that was really funny. So, yeah. All right. Well, um, I'm Cole Preston from the Chillinois podcast. I'm Justine from Can of Queens. Thanks for listening, guys. And we will, s- you'll hear from us soon. You want to get high?